When I was, uh, I, as most of you know, I grew up uh, in, in this area, and um, my, my family, as we were, as we'd come to holidays or uh, breaks or summer or those kind of things from school, uh, we didn't bother with babysitters. We would just go take over my grandma's house. Um, and there was, there was one thing I remember uh, when I, all my cousins and I would go to my grandma's house. Uh, it's my grandma in Lockport. Um, they live in this old wooden, they live on a plantation, so like it's this old wooden house. And they got all these bushes and stuff and, and, and all this nice like planting and stuff around. Um, one of the things they had were these, these beautiful, they had, she had like a rose bush and a couple of other like really, really big flower bushes, right? Um, and I remember like when we were kids, we would be outside playing or, or getting in trouble or fighting or whatever we were, like we would do all of our stuff, we'd be, you know, jumping off the porch or climbing on top of the house or whatever, like we'd be doing all this absolutely ridiculous stuff. One of the things I remember, my grandma a lot of times would be outside and she'd be messing with the flowers, and I always thought, like, what could she possibly be doing messing with a bush, right? Like, like she was constantly around it, like, clipping different little pieces off, and, and I never understood what was going on. Now, as I, as I was, that was when I was younger. As I grew up, I learned that if you want really beautiful flowers, right, if you want, like, really nice rose bushes, um, it, they actually take a lot of work. There's kind of three phases in having beautiful flowers. The first one is, is you got to plant the seed, Right? Um, you have to have good soil, you have to turn it up, you have to make sure that like it's fertilized, you got to make sure everything's right and that it's good and that it, the land is suitable. It's not too rocky, it's deep enough, it's got rich soil, like all those kind of things. You may need to use certain fertilizers, pesticides, whatever, like you need to make sure that the, the place is suitable for it to land and for it to root. So you need to plant. There's kind of that phase of planting. The next one is, is you need to protect what you just planted, right? Like as it starts to germinate, as it starts to break through the ground and like you start seeing these little sprouts, well, as the bush starts to grow, you need to protect it, right? That might include like pruning it. That might include like beating your little grandkids away from it, right? Like, like, my, like me and my cousins. Like you, it, it may take like it, it, as it starts to grow, like you need to cut the extra pieces off so that make sure that the that the, the the nutrients aren't wasted on on useless branches and that they go to to the good branches, right? Like go to the places that the flowers are, that the buds are. And then and then after you protect it and cultivate it, right? Like after it grows, then you have the next phase, and that's the the celebratory phase. That's the blooming phase, right? And I, I remember very very fondly, like walking into my grandma's house and and in her kitchen on the table. So often there would be a nice vase and, and you'd have a flower, right? And it was from her garden and she clipped it and it's really beautiful and it's really like, it's got that smell that was really nice and like it was just really, really awesome. We, 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 and and what, what happens in that blooming phase is that like people want to see it. People are going to smell it. They're, they're going to experience the flower, right? I remember after, uh, it, was, it was the Easter, a couple of months after COVID started, right? Like after the world changed and everything went to hell, right? Like I, I remember when, when this went on, like I remember walking in, we were doing uh, live stream masses still and everything, and, and I was at St. Hilary in the Adoration Chapel in the back, and that's where we kind of like, the little closet that we set everything up. And I remember walking in, um, there was a florist that was in my parish. Uh, she had enough flowers to do one bouquet, and it was like Easter lilies, and I remember it was just like we had been doing mass in this like little musky area, this little, little tiny studio chapel thing. And I, I remember walking in, and when I opened the door, it's like the smell of those Easter lilies just hit me. And I was like, whoo, wow. Like it smelt like Easter. Like it, it, it punched me. Like it, it, was like a, it was like a really, really beautiful smell. And like, there was no way I could ignore it, right? 
But it like drew me in. Like it, it was something about it that just like, wow, when, it, when you see a flower that's bloomed and, and you get that, that rich fragrance, you, you, you can't ignore it. Now, now why am I bringing that up? Because I, I think it, it actually lays out pretty well. These three phases lay out pretty well for us in our spiritual life. Like, I, I think if we, we want to be honest, like our life of faith, oftentimes there's these same kind of three phases that should take place, right? Like, there's a planting phase, there's a cultivating phase, there's a, there's a soil phase, like from whenever we're young. Every one of us here ha- had somebody at some point in our life witness to us the faith. Like, at the moment of our baptism, we received the seed of faith. Like, that happened, objectively. But every one of us, like, there were people around that helped to cultivate that at some point in our life. It might have been last week, it might have been whenever you were a baby, right? Like, somebody witnessed to you the faith enough that you're going to give up 7 p.m. on a Sunday of NFL playoff weekend, right, to be here, <laughs> right? Like, you're going to, like, otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't come to Mass. Otherwise you wouldn't be seeking God. Like, somebody helped to kind of turn up the soil of your heart, if you will. Like that it was able to receive the seed of faith. That this, it started to take root, it started to kind of sprout, it started to like make, have an effect in your life a little bit. That's beautiful. That's great. Like that, we, we, we all should experience that. I, I think, and then we move into the second phase of this kind of, there's the plant phase, and now there's the, there's the protect phase. And that protect phase is, well, now if I'm going to live this faith, if I'm going to believe in this faith, well, there's a bunch of things that the church says that I should do and that I shouldn't do. Like, i got to do the Ten Commandments. i got to not do certain things. i gotta, I got to follow the, the Beatitudes when I come to Mass on Sunday. i got to stand at certain times, sit at certain times, kneel at certain times. Like, there's always things i got to do, right? And there's certain things that I shouldn't do. Sin. Do good, avoid evil, Right? And there's like a protect there. It's kind of like the, it's like, it's a little bit of kind of like the, the, the pruning, if you will. Like, I, I want to do some of these things, but I probably shouldn't do these kind of things and like cut that piece off, right? Like, like it's a little bit of a pruning that takes place in this protect phase. And then finally, there should be like the witness phase, like the, the, the proclaim phase, if you will. Like the plant, if we're going to like stay with the peas, right? Like plant, then, then protect, then proclaim. There should be the proclaim phase. And that's the bud that blossoms. That's the living the life of, of a Christian, that it's an aroma that people can't ignore in the real world, right? Like that's, that's like, ooh, that person got something different about them when they're walking down the street because they believe in who? Jesus Christ. They got a personal relationship with Christ that's very, very powerful, that they are committed to, that they have a covenant with. They understand that they are God's. They love God. God loves them. And it dictates everything in their life. That, that should be the kind of phase. Like that, that should be kind of how we work as Christians. Now, I, 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 if I look at that um, and I lay that before me, um, I'm not going to lie, I find myself, and I, I think it's not just a me thing, I think it's a, it's a culture thing. I, have, I, I think that we as Catholics is particular, but we as Christians in general, I think we oftentimes get stalled out in the protect phase. I think oftentimes we just find ourselves where it's the, what should I do, what should I not do, let's do those things, that says I'm a good Catholic, that says I'm a good Christian. But what does Scripture say about that? We just read it. 
in our first reading. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant. It is too little for you, says the Lord, just to follow my commands. It is too little for you, says the Lord, just to do what you're supposed to do and not do what you're not supposed to do. It is too little to be stuck in just protecting. It is too little, says the Lord, for you to be my servant. I will make you a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Like the prophet Isaiah is telling us today that it is too little for us just to do the rules. It is too little for us just to follow the Ten Commandments to the T and that's it. It's too little for you to just be a servant of the law. A follower of the law and that's it. Because you're called to more than that. It's too little for the rose bush just to have buds. It's too little for, for us just to be in the protect. Because we're called to proclaim. We're called to be a light to the nations. We're called to be an example to the nations. We're called to be an example to every single person we come in contact with, a witness out in a world, a, a spark in darkness, because our world needs it. Because it is too little for you to just be my servant. Now you might be sitting there thinking, Father, like, look, that sounds, that, that, I, I get what you're saying, but like, are you sure you want me? That's what I would be thinking if I were you. I'm just letting you know. Like, I would be like, Father, like, I, if, if, 10 years ago, I'd have been sitting in the back of the pew being like, really, Father, you're thinking about me? And then now, like, I'm a priest and it's like, yeah, you, you, God's got a sense of humor, right? <laughs> But I would have been sitting there thinking, like, are you serious? Like, because I got stuff. Like, I, 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 have, I have sin. I've got struggles. I've got a lot of stuff. Like, I, I, I'm very, very, I have a whole lot of shortcomings. If you've got a question, just ask people that know me. Like, that, seriously. Like, I have a lot of reasons why I should not be the one proclaiming the faith. Got a whole lot of reasons. Today, I still have a whole lot of reasons. But the reality is, is that none of my reasons are as big as the reason of our person that wrote the second reading. Back to Scripture. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you don't know who Paul is, um, we, we're going to have a little, we're going to do a little biopic on, on St. Paul for a second. Uh, St. Paul was known as Saul, and this, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, which was in the Roman Empire. So the Corinthians would have known, people in Corinth, in this city of Corinth, would have known Paul by a different name. They would have known him as Saul. And Saul was not an apostle called by Jesus Christ. Saul was a Roman soldier who was present and the commander at the first martyrdom in our faith. He literally was the first person who killed a Christian. And by the will of God, he's been called. So when the people in Corinth are getting this letter, and they're looking at it, 
I don't think they're too... I, I don't think they, they, they're probably a little bit confused. They might be a little bit worried. What the heck is going on here? Because if Paul can be called with all of his baggage, with all of his history, if Paul can be called with all of his zeal that's been misplaced, if Paul can be called with all his judgment and all his shortcomings, why not you? Because we've heard it said that the Lord, that in the prophet Isaiah, that it's not enough for us to be a servant, but that we're called to be a light. It's not enough for Paul to be a murderer and a soldier and just listen to orders. He's called to be a light. We're all called to be a light to the nations, not just to protect not just to hold our faith for ourselves. We're called to proclaim. If we think about this in, a, in, in, in real terms, our church, right? There's not another church that's showing up. Let me explain. Like, there's not another church that's all of a sudden going to show up. Like, our next generation of faithful Catholics are... are, are going to be the fruit of this generation's faithful Catholics. There's not another church showing up. There's not another St. Paul that's going to show up and all of a sudden start proclaiming the faith. Like we, we, it, it, It's our job. We've been the ones that have been commissioned and called and, and placed to say, you are the ones who are supposed to be a light to the nation now. Previous generations did it. Our grandparents did it already. Their grandparents did it already. Now it's our turn. And it's our call to be sent out. Nobody else is showing up. There's not another church that's going to show up, another Catholic church that's going to show up in evangelized Thibodeau, Louisiana. You're called. You. With the fear and anxiety and struggle and sin and pain and all the stuff that we have, all the baggage that I have and all the list of reasons why not, we are the ones who are called to proclaim the gospel. And to even use Jesus' name when we do it. This week, just a challenge. And see how, you see how hard it is to do. But just a, a quick challenge for us. At some point this week, say the name of Jesus to someone who doesn't normally go to church. And I don't mean like driving in traffic and saying, Jesus Christ, right? Like, no, no, no. Like... <laughs> Like in a conversation with somebody, whether it be at work, at school, wherever you are, somebody who doesn't typically go to church, doesn't typically run in, in Catholic circles, doesn't typically run around, like say the name of Jesus to somebody. Because we're called to be a light of the nations. If we can't talk about the one that we're in love with, then are we really being a light? If we can't spread the gospel to, if we can't share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus, then who will? I know a lot of times I, when I was in when I was a seminarian, when I was when I was in high school and college, I remember thinking like, well, the priest is going to go do all that, right? And I don't give myself like a, I'm not taking myself off the hook with this, promise. But there's places that I can't go. Like somebody in this room is going to sit in a boardroom this week that I never will have an access to. And the gospel needs to be proclaimed there. 
Somebody's going to be in a doctor's office this week that I can't go to. And, and the gospel needs to be proclaimed there. Somebody's going to be in the back of a garbage truck this week and I can't be there. Usually because I'm sleeping, right? Like, like, but, because, but, but the gospel needs to be proclaimed there. Just imagine, just imagine if every one of us this week found one person that doesn't typically hear Jesus' name and, and we share the message of Jesus Christ with them. That Jesus came, died, and saved me. What, what kind of impact would that have on a city the size of Thibodeau? What kind of impact would that have on our families? That we could share that. That we could spread that. The reason why I challenge us with it is because I'm just listening to the words of the prophet Isaiah. It's not enough for us just, just to follow the rules. Just to stand, sit, and kneel. Just to be a servant of the law. Because that's not what we're called to. We're not called to be drones that just, that just constantly follow rules. We're called to be a light. And if you're tired of a dark world as, as, as much as I'm tired of a dark world, then maybe it's time for the lights to get moving. <laughs> the, last words of the, gospel, the last words of the Mass that we're going to say today is go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. I've said this before and I'll say it again. That is not a suggestion. <laughs> That's not an invitation. It's a command. That we, as the body of Christ, are then sent, scattered. Go and infect the rest of the world. Weird, weird phrase with COVID, sorry. Right? <laughs> go, go and spread the gospel. Go and, share, go and spread the seed of the gospel. That other people may be touched. We're not called, it's not enough, it's too little for us to just be followers of rules. Because we're called to be a light. May we go out and proclaim the gospel of the Lord today.